You are listening to the Teaching Little Brains podcast with Sarah Nickrock, episode 18. Hello, Teacher Brain. This week, my learning and unlearning and listening has continued. I have sought out and come across many valuable, important, and uncomfortable conversations, reflections, and resources. I am learning to embrace the discomfort because I know and fully believe that it is necessary in any kind of growth, and in this type of growth especially, it is crucial. One of my biggest learnings, which I mentioned last week, was the fact that not being part of the problem is not the same as being part of the solution. Being not racist is not the same thing as being anti-racist. So I'm choosing to move forward more intentionally and with action, in this case, anti-racist action, but in all cases where I've been guilty of abstaining from action taking, um, thinking I wasn't contributing to the problem at the forefront of my mind. And so I have made that decision in advance. I have chosen how I'm going to respond to certain situations should they arise before they do so that I might have a level-headed, thoughtful, and impactful response as opposed to a hot-headed emotional reaction. Which brings us to today's topic, deciding in advance. In episode 17, we talked about our emotions, how everything starts with a thought about a situation that causes our emotion. The emotion then drives our action, which gets us our result. When our emotions combine with our repeated thoughts, that gets automated into our subconscious and becomes our belief, creating our identity. And it is from our beliefs that 80 to 90% of our decisions and actions are made, mostly without our even being aware of it. Yikes, like every time I say that, I get taken aback a little bit because we are living 80 to 90% of our day through our subconscious based on our ingrained beliefs. So we can see how important it is then to catch our thoughts, question our beliefs, and engage our prefrontal cortex in consciously choosing the thoughts that we repeat over and over that serve us, others, and the planet in a productive and positive way so that our subconscious then will operate from that standpoint. In episode two and 17, I asked you to notice your thoughts and feelings and identify the top three feelings that you experience in an average day. And I wonder if they surprised you, your top three feelings. Were they more negative than you thought? Or did you only notice the negative ones because they were easier to identify? Or did you find that most of your feelings and thoughts were positive? Now, due to the fact that we are programmed with a negativity bias, another survival mechanism of our brains, thank you very much, which favors negative thoughts to positive ones nine to one, I'm gonna guess that if you did this exercise, you noticed more negative emotions than positive. And sometimes we can then get hard on ourselves and feel guilty about that, but that's you know besides the point and your brain's programmed that way. We also talked about looking at our feelings and thoughts with curiosity and not judgment, and that's important. So maybe you noticed frustration, annoyance, irritability, anger, overwhelm, sadness, hopelessness, helplessness, outrage, all range of things. And many of these are reactionary, seemingly automatic from the circumstance we're faced with. So 
Mummy is trying to do work. Daughter interrupts her train of thought, maybe for the 14th time that hour, asking for a snack or playtime or demanding it or whining about it. Mummy loses her cool, snaps at daughter, stomps to the bananas, rips one open, shoves it at said daughter. There, have a banana. Mummy's working. Mum guilt ensues, creating an unsettled pit in the stomach for the rest of the day, further distracting her from her work and creating tension between mother and daughter. It seems like the interruption caused the frustration. Believe me, I live this. (laughs) But we know better. Although it's less than a millisecond, our feelings are preceded by thoughts. So what was the thought or belief that caused the banana emotion action result chain reaction here? Perhaps someone's always interrupting me when I'm working, or I never get time to myself, or having my daughter here when I'm trying to work is such a pain, or so-and-so is eight years old now. Why can't she make a snack for herself? Or she shouldn't be interrupting me when I'm trying to work. Or my parents would never have put up with this behavior. So when our emotions are reactive, then they of course tend to be negative and they lead us to an undesired result. So here it would be tension between mother and daughter, maybe a semi-squished banana or tears or all of the above. So now for me, learning all this brain stuff has been such an incredible journey. Understanding how powerful our brain is, how it works, and that I can actually rewire the networks in my brain to create the life I want is like mind blowing and so empowering. But it's a bit of a double-edged sword. It's amazing to know that most of my beliefs were hardwired in between the ages of zero and seven and that they were based on my observations and impressions of my caregivers and not my fault, but that now I can do something about reprogramming them. And on the other edge of the sword, as a mother to a zero to seven-year-old, I have become hyper aware of everything I do and say to her for fear of wiring, wiring in beliefs that will create these automatic negative thoughts and stories in her sweet little brain. Every time I respond to her cute little request to play, mommy, can you play with me? With an annoyed, like, oh, Zoe, mommy has work to do. I imagine her curled up in the corner of her university dorm, should she choose to go to university, listening to Cats in the Cradle on repeat, or telling her future therapist or life coach that she felt like she was a nuisance to her mom and she's not really sure why. So they unpack it back to when she was five and COVID happened, and we were home together, and every request she made for a snack, playtime, or color a picture together was met with frustration and annoyance. Bingo! (laughs) And I realized that that is how I was reacting to her loving request to spend time with her mama, with annoyance, frustration, heavy exhale, or clenched teeth. Now, as a neuro coach in training, About to enter the mastery level, I have come to fully and completely understand and appreciate the value of a coach. Everyone, everyone should have a coach in their life. And many do. Some like medical professionals, athletes, business people, government officials, and actors all have coaches. In fact, the best ones are the ones who usually have a coach because they understand the value and impact having a coach makes on the growth development and success of their life. 
and I'm not saying you have to go out and hire a life coach, although I do believe that's a great idea. It could just be like a friend or colleague or family member even who supports you in challenging your thinking and or guides you through the process. Anyway, as such, I consulted my group of coaches to get some clarity, guidance, and strategies to help me be a more present and patient mother. And that's one of my affirmations and goals. I am a present and patient mother. So here's the thing about life coaching and neuro coaching. It's not always a comfortable process. (laughs) Like much like these race conversations we're having as of late, coaching conversations can bring up some deep emotion, resistance, defensiveness, And the good ones do. The good conversations bring up all that stuff. That's how you know you're making progress. Coaches will empathize with you, but will not jump into the pool of your despair and frustration. They will not endorse it further for your, and this is all for your own good. So they won't come along with you and say like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Or, oh yeah, she should know better. Or like, that's terrible. They'll empathize. They have great empathy, but they're not, that's not their role. The role is not to perpetuate this negative feeling and story that your brain is telling you. It's to make you see it and move forward. So anyway, I shared my situation and worry with the coach. So I said, like, knowing all this brain stuff is fantastic and is helping me and so many people in such incredible ways. But It has also made me paranoid about scarring Zoe for life by unintentionally developing a story in her that she is a nuisance to me. And that's my fear. I don't want her to ever feel like she is a nuisance or an inconvenience to me or that I don't enjoy her company. And I don't want her and and, and that I don't want to hear what she has to say. So how can I still get my work done, give her the time she's asking for without being snappy and impatient? Now, here's the the super interesting thing. I know right now your brain has come up with a ton of possible problem-solving solutions for me. Maybe things that have worked for you. Maybe we can make a schedule, timetable in work time and play time. We can have a discussion about it. We can set timers, all the things. Thank you. And trust me, we did it. And here's the fascinating part. So we want to help so badly. We want to jump in and save someone from their pain and discomfort so badly. That's why your brain came up with all of those things for me. Because we're loving, caring individuals and we know what it's like to be there. We can feel each other's pain and that's a wonderful thing. We want to jump in the pool with the person feeling the pain and cuddle them and cry with them and solve their problems for them and pull them out of that negative emotion, that pain as soon as humanly possible. The problem is that A, when we do that, we don't learn how to solve our own problems. B, we don't learn how to process our emotions fully because we've cut it off mid-loop. And C, we become dependent on others and look to external circumstances to make us feel better. And we all know that circumstances are neutral. Nothing out there can make you feel better. Only you can do that. How? Yes, with your thoughts. See? Are you getting a bit uncomfortable already? Yes, growth. Okay, so here I was presenting my situation to my coach. And, you know, we walked through the process. I won't get into the steps here, but if you want to learn more, please click on my contact link in the show notes because 
This is like life altering stuff. But eventually we get to an aha moment for me. And it was around this reacting versus responding. I was reacting to Zoe's quote unquote interruptions or requests or complaints or whatever, almost as if they were catching me off guard. Although I knew they were coming. So it's like I was anticipating them, dreading them really, and then reacting even though I knew it was going to happen. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but maybe the moms out there will have an idea of what I mean. Um, and teachers, you know, when you're, if your students do the same thing. But it's like when something happens and someone gets all worked up about it and they say like, oh, I knew that was going to happen or I knew he was going to do that. And then you think, well, if you knew that was going to happen, then why are you so upset about it? You know? And so here I was doing the same thing. And my coach pointed out that I was then reacting to Zoe's request, requests rather than responding. And that the difference is in deciding in advance. So I had been letting my subconscious react based from the belief that I should not be interrupted during my work time, especially since we made a schedule and we did all the things, we had the timer, and she knows that when I'm working, she's not to interrupt. So really, in a way, I was kind of subconsciously deciding in advance that I would snap at her when she interrupted me because she should know better. And if I get mad, well, then that's just the product of her interruption because it's annoying. But I had cognitive dissonance between my affirmation to be a present and patient mother by snapping at her for every little thing. And the friction of that cognitive dissonance was further loaded on guilt and shame for having snapped at her in the first place. So instead, we worked the model backwards, much like backward planning and teaching, which is why this type of coaching, I think, can be so effective and natural to teachers. Um, to start with the result that I wanted, which was to address Zoe with a patient and calm tone. And this was another revelation because I was making the result too big. I wanted to be a present and patient mother. And this is another thing I have learned from James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. And there's another book called The One Thing. Um, and there's a podcast of it as well. Um, around developing micro habits. So it's essentially baby steps, but in an effective framework with clear action steps. Okay, but, well, I'm getting way off on a tangent here, sorry. Okay, so where was I? Oh yes. So starting with the result I wanted and through some further exploration, I decided that my beginning point, my one small thing, my atomic habit would be to address Zoe in a patient and calm tone. So I decided in advance that when, what that would look like. Whenever she called my name, whenever she said like, mommy, followed by whatever request or demand or complaint, no matter how it came out of her mouth, I would respond lovingly with a yes, my love, and look her in the eye. Sometimes I may need a hot second before I can respond that way, but that would be my response every time. Now, I think you've probably gathered about me by now through our time together on this podcast. And if you're part of my Facebook group or membership, that when I learn something new, I am like chomping at the bit to get it into practice. So I was totally jazzed up about trying this out. Um, unfortunately, it was bedtime 
when, when I was in my coaching call, so I had to wait until the next day to give it a go. But I am so happy to report that in the three weeks that I have been consistently practicing this, deciding in advance strategy with Zoe, we have experienced very few outbursts, objections, tense moments between us. I mean, we're not perfect. Of course, sometimes it comes out as yes, love, instead of yes, love. But this teeny tiny habit I have developed has reduced the number of interruptions during my work time. And I think it's because I'm not like snapping at her anymore. I'm not, I don't have that tone. And so she's not internalizing that, making it mean something about her and then trying to make up for that by coming to me more, needing her calm, happy mommy to resurface. Like I think before she was almost trying to override that snappy interaction by initiating a new one, hoping it would be a more positive one. I mean, I don't know, but that's my hypothesis about what was happening in her sweet little brain. Um, Especially when she would just like come up to me and say, mommy, and I'd roll my eyes with, yes, love. And then she would say, I love you, mommy. Right? Right in the ticker. Anyway, since then, I've begun examining other areas of my life where deciding in advance will help me out. And one of them is in this area and learning and unlearning around racism and my white privilege. I've decided in advance, and like with Zoe, this one I was able to do so quickly and easily because of my motivation was there. I wanna learn, like really learn. I wanna dive into the uncomfortable and truly listen and learn. And so my decision in advance is that I will fully listen, eye contact, not interjecting, and I'm a verbal processor, so that's big for me. There's a meme that says something like, I don't mean to interrupt people, I just get so excited about what they're saying that I can't stop myself. Yeah, that's me. Um, But anyway, I have committed in advance to stop. Shut my mouth, listen, and ask my brain, how have I contributed to this problem in the past, and how can I contribute to the solution moving forward? So, There's so much value and potential for bonding, understanding, and resolution I see in implementing this. Deciding in advance how you're going to respond to your spouse when they, whatever, to your children when they do something, to your boss, to your students. I mean, it's such a powerful tool for us for so many instances, big and small, in our lives. And of course... I think it goes hand in hand with listening, but that could be your advanced decision to listen to someone you may not have been really listening to in the past. Maybe someone who challenges your sense of morality even, or your sense of decency, or even your way of doing something and deciding in advance what it will mean to truly listen. What will it look like? What is your body doing? What is your mouth doing? What is your brain doing? So that So that is the learning that I have to share with you today. And I hope that you have found it interesting and maybe even inspirational enough to try out for yourself. And I wonder again, how we could like, we could teach this to our students. We could teach them to learn how to decide in advance so that they're responding rather than reacting. When my teacher says, find a partner and my friend picks someone else I can choose in advance what my reaction is going to be, what my response is going to be. 
When someone challenges me outside or won't let me play with them at recess, I can choose in advance what is my response going to be. When someone triggers me um, and I feel angry, what is my response going to be? So I would love to hear your thoughts and feelings if you would like um, to take a minute to rate and review this podcast. If you know someone whom this might be of interest to as well, maybe share it with them. And I'd love to hear how you see this being useful to you or if you try it out, how it has helped. Uh, you can share that with me privately via contact the contact link below or in our Teaching Little Brains Facebook page or group. And I look forward to hearing from you. And I can hear Zoe looking for me now. So I'm going to go practice this for myself. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Bye for now.